Matthias works closely connect music and theater, so his concerts often turn into interactive theater performances, while his puppet shows turn into musical compositions. With his accordion and suitcase full of puppets, Mattia has traveled the globe, and I met him at the 2019 Woodford Folk Festival in Queensland, Australia. This interview was recorded while Mattia stayed at the Alpha House Artist Cooperative in Sydney, only a couple of hours before his two shows scheduled for that same night. Yes, that's the kind of person Mattia is. Full of energy and always on the run. When it comes to inspiration, he says he's very much like a flipper ball randomly banging onto something that sparks the idea to work with. And these ideas are often dealt with through dark comedy. And the first thing that Panda said, he said, you will die. <laughs> he said to a kid, you will die too. Did your parents tell you that you will die? They didn't, because they are not sincere. And a series of strange objects, often made of bones, that are, through our own imagination, transformed into real forms. In other words, the illusion is created in us and not on the stage. In this podcast, Mattia tells me why he prefers this approach to the performance, what drew him to puppeteering in the first place why music has always been at the center of his creative expression. And we even talk about his natural sleeping rhythm. I also had a chance to speak to one of Matthias' companions, Panda Bear Fergus Walker Jr. So stick around to the end of this podcast to hear the wise words of the puppet himself. Yeah, right moment, right moment, man. We are doing good. Chibi-dibi, chip, chip, chip. You missed it, man, you missed it. Okay, it's too late now. Matia, play. Bye-bye. The music used in this podcast is from Matia Solce's Scandi Balkan folk punk band Trio Catastrofa. Mm. How do I pronounce your name? Mattia. Mattia Solze. 
in Italy they would say Mattia, in uh, Czech they would say Matisek or and so and so on. Yeah, there are different versions of Mattia, but we have Slovenian Mattia with J, yeah, yeah. which nobody a... nobody uh, has it. Maybe maybe you have it, yeah, in we Croatia, have, yeah. We, we, um, our intonation is Mattia. Yeah. So when you say Mattia, is it a common name in Slovenia? Yeah, it's quite a famous name now because it's old name and uh, it was Mattia Gubec. It was famous uh, anti-feudalist warrior. So basically, they know Mattia Gubec. Is that why you got your name? No. Because I was like a spider, spider Mattia. No. <laughs> what is spider Mattia? Does that exist? Really? Yes, we have spider Mattia. Also, this is the Sucha Yuzina, is the, the most uh, tiny one. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Is there a story behind how you got your name? No. Just got it. I mean, yeah, well, this is, this is important. Let's go into the business part. Yeah, as a business part. <laughs> Is there a story behind how you got into puppeteering? Yes. That story is called My Parents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because they were puppeteers and uh, I was traveling with them as a kid and uh, I was surrounded by puppets and uh, puppet community mostly. So basically when I stopped, uh, when I finished my high school, I went to Ljubljana and then I started making music and puppets without basically being pushed by my parents. So I wanted to do something completely different. So, And then uh, my friends uh, pushed me to go to the Prague Academy because they were teaching there. And they kind of put me there into the exams. And uh, firstly, I didn't get in on the first, uh, first year, uh, but it was probably because I didn't fit the context there anyway. I mean, probably it was because of this. What kind of academy did you it, Ah, yeah, sorry. It was a, a theater academy in Prague, so puppet uh, department of theater academy in Prague, which means that this is already alternative theater and puppet theater department, which makes it a little bit more open, and uh, these days it makes it so open that there are basically no puppets, because alternative theater means any kind of expression that is connected with the stage or non-stage. So that means that if you are walking on the street and observing the people, basically you are already audience and you are watching alternative theater performance. So uh, I got in this direction also anyway. So for me, everything is puppet theater. So for me, uh, the situation now is puppet theater as well as concert is puppet theater. And uh, I don't call it anymore puppet theater. I changed the, the relation to it. But anyway, so... How do you call it these days? Well, I didn't want to go in this already. Uh, <laughs> you can't go well, it's you theater, can't theater of uh, illusion points. This was my uh, thesis on, in my PhD. Um, that uh, everything depends on like uh, what you take as a space, as a mise-en-scene. So when you're playing music, what do you take as a space? Do you take a performative space or do you take the space in which you kind of relate to music in your head. And uh, of course, I relate the same way with the puppetry as I relate to the concert. And this makes it kind of uh, very relative in a way. So if I have a puppet in my left hand and I, or I have an object and I talk for this object, you can watch me and the object. That's kind of very clear one. Mm -hmm. And then of course, when I put it down and I still talk, I don't watch the object anymore, but you know that the object is talking, you know, because you relate to it in different places, in different kind of space, and so, so basically you understand what's going on. So, and this, this gets quite far. I'm, I'm not going too far now. Okay. I was talking about my parents. Yeah, you, you yeah. jumped from childhood to PhD. So yeah, yeah. yeah this, is, this is what I said to you, so yeah. I didn't want to jump. Well, we can jump <coughs> back and forth. 
But it, actually that brings me to the question that seeing your shows, you never hide your face when you do your theatre of illusion or it was advertised in some ways as a puppet show, which I associate obviously puppet shows with a hidden face and the puppet. Yeah. So has that always been the way you performed or have you changed that since you've done this transition into theatre of illusion? I mean, I never avoid seeing the face. Yeah. If there is a paravan, it's because of technical use, because I'm like doing uh, uh, like jokes. Spotting out and being hidden again, so and I want to show only one part of puppet or my body or something else, and so it's like I'm never intentionally hiding my face. And mm -hmm. opposite, I'm doing it as like a, as a game that the public can get more involved into it as part of the game, not as something serious that is happening, as we want always to do with the puppetry or also with the real theater much more than with the puppetry, because when you are hiding the strings of the marionette, for example or when you're making the black theater in order to make really perfect illusion, you know. Mm -hmm. This for me is like anti my philosophy of theater in general uh, and of theater experience, and because for me this is something firstly personal and secondly something that should happen in the head of the audience, but not in kind of reality or real illusion in a way. So, mm -hmm. so I think that I'm kind of trying to provocate the public and provocate each of them to interpret whatever I'm doing in different way, firstly. And the secondly, I like this openness of the theater that makes it much more natural and much more like part of the commune event or communal event, which uh, connects the people and goes against this like fourth wall in today's uh, media stream and today's like really strong effects. So uh, I'm kind of doing, I think, like a multimedial genre, which means multimedial because sometimes I'm the actor, sometimes the puppet is the actor, sometimes the music is the actor, and sometimes, of course, the audience are yeah. part of the show. You can all shake your hands! What are you doing there in the back? Do something! Yeah! <laughs> and now say ooh in the break. Ooh, are you ready? Ooh, now! Working in that way where the is created in the audience's head rather than you faking it for them. You really work with imagination very strongly, I'd say. Yeah, this 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 is basically main main part of my PhD. Ooh, no! Describing what it means yeah, right moment, art, what it means puppet theater and uh, what it means like uh, social engagement for art and opposite, how the art should engage socially in order to be functional also, not just aesthetical, so. And what's your take on that? How should it do that? By opening yourself, as you said, yeah, by being yourself, by uh, letting the audience play this game with you. Do and you feel that it has a social function outside of that space of the theatre, that it does something to us that we then take into daily life and into yeah, social interactions? And yeah. what would you say that thing is... Well, uh, there are many, many options. So uh, one thing is, for example, I don't know, the protest that I was organizing. The other thing is like the festivals which I organize. I always try to involve art in the way that it's, uh, let's say, connecting all the structures, which means it can collect the social layers and which means it can collect, uh, connect the, the 
yeah, let's say the the environment in which we are doing the the thing. If I'm talking about the protest, for example, yeah, this was the the kind of we are coordinating the protest because we are making the how it will look like, mm-hmm. yeah. So how to make it uh, in a way uh, really sharp, and on the other hand, not to go into conflict with police, you know, and on the other hand, how to make it understandable for a wider wider spectrum of public mm-hmm. and. Uh, I think we quite well succeeded with huge puppets and with some kind of rituals that were quite ironic that we made, you know. So we didn't like build of like the flag of our Slovenia identity, you know, that we have to save the world with this. But we basically dismantled the identification with symbols and we built the new symbols out of it, you know. And uh, for example, I don't know when the government with the prime minister called us that we are just zombies because he was relating to the communist party, you know. Then. Uh, Basically, we just uh, dressed ourselves into zombies, mm-hmm. and the next time he had in front of Parliament twenty thousand zombies, you know, and basically he didn't really know how to like deal with this kind of language uh, mm-hmm. communication that we are using. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so I think we kind of uh, managed to prove that it can be really functional the art in this way. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, uh, yeah, as I said, it's connecting. Uh, different aspects of social layers and also different topics and I think every basically art form should be engaged. Everything that we do on the stage should be in some way political. Mm-hmm. Everything that we do as an artist should be overextended. Everything that we do should like not 100% relate to the public that we are playing to. And this is like my problem in modern industry because it says yeah you deserve being an artist if you manage to make money out of it. If you are 100% relating to what the people's expectations are, you know. And this is the problem of classical theatre, when the people go to see Macbeth, they go to see it because they just know this, you know. Mm-hmm. They will not go to see something that they don't know, kind of. And how do you go about challenging that expectation when you prepare for the shows so you don't fully relate to them? I will never fulfill the expectations because I'm doing bloody puppetry, you know, nobody knows what to expect anyway, you know, so, I mean, you know what to expect. I did the last show, it was Don Quixote, you know, and of course I was using the, the marionette the first time in my life because I hate marionettes and uh, I use it more as a symbol than, uh, than as a, of course, a symbol for myself as a puppeteer managing the puppet as Don Quixote trying to, you know, it's a little bit like uh, like uh, uh, being uh, John Malkovich, yeah, and the same kind of thing, a little bit, yeah. So uh, it's everything from my perspective as a puppeteer, you know. Mm-hmm. Is so, there an element of confusion that you wanna? Yes, that's, that's definitely. Yeah. This this is like the ironical aspect of of the theater, especially of puppeteers. You know, when you are doing, when I'm doing the irony in in a normal life, it's a bit hard to be ironical in such an extent, you know, because irony for me doesn't mean. Like that, okay, I'm making fun of myself now. No, I think to detach from your body in some way, you know, and puppets are really great for this, you know. You're detaching from your body also by having a joystick and, uh, I don't know, or to having a sound table and changing the sounds also, of course, yeah. But it's still really, really relating to something really concrete, you know. Mm-hmm. But in a way, puppetry is really good in this object, obje- objectification of the the material, of the topics, and of course of yourself as an as a actor, as a body, you know. So I forgot what was your question, I went somewhere, uh, somewhere else, did I? I? I don't think so, I mean I was asking about confusion. I ah, confusion, yeah, 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 so uh, confusion, yeah. 
About this is, of course, firstly, the focus that you have so many focus in whatever I'm doing, you know, whatever is it called this. So it's firstly hard to focus on it and secondly I do it in a rhythmical way, so I lean on music, which makes it uh, much more uh, simple in some ways. So I'm just using... Just this, you know. Basically just with these sounds, you know, you can, okay, make many different, uh, many different uh, pictures, you know. If you don't know the people that are listening to this, this is about two bones that are like following each other. So one thing is, okay, the dead body is awakening and it's awakening in this form of two bones becoming a fish. The second thing is, of course, it's uh, the materiality of the bones, you know. Okay, I, basically I said the same thing, but it's objects that look like something and you make them look a little bit more like a, like a fish because you make them move in different ways. So it's about the movement, the second thing. So firstly is the topic, then is the move. Yeah? And the third, of course, is the situation. This is what we are always leaning to. So we want to see the soap opera in order that we are sitting by the table, some guy comes in, breaks in and he says, you did this to me. And I said, me, no. You know, so we do this situation finally, you know. Mm -hmm. And the th fourth thing is, of course, the rhythm, because this is quite, sometimes it can become quite complex rhythmically, so you can enjoy the musicality of it. Mm -hmm. And the fifth thing is, of course, my face into it, yeah? And the sixth thing is the whole space in which we are, we are in the context in which we are. So if I'm making this for children, if I'm making this for, like, prisoners, if I'm making this in Australia, or if I'm doing this in some, like, big Bolshoi theater in Moscow, so... So six things are space, <laughs> your face... No, no. Well, going backwards. No, no, ah, backwards, okay, yeah. Space, your face, uh -huh. rhythm, uh -huh. and then... Three. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, has, um, has music always been a part of it, or was that added later? Have you ever thought of going into being full, just musician? Or? Yeah, of course. But you know, uh, whenever I'm uh, playing the music, I'm saying I'm a puppeteer and opposite. Whenever I go to play the theater show, I want to play music. That's very natural also because I kind of put the stress off, like some expectations, firstly. Yeah. And the second thing, uh, these two forms are, for me, mm -hmm. the most uh, far away from each other in the way of expression, you know. Why? Uh, well, because musical is something that is based in us, it's based in material, it's based in, the, uh, in any frequency that we hear. So uh, basically we cannot live without music, it's uh, very existential. And theater is something that we build on top of our learned experiences. It's built on stereotypes and it's built on language and it's making, creating a new language, yeah? So basically this is for me uh, interesting that every show I create a new language, basically. Every show the people have to understand it. If they come in the middle of the show they still understand, but if they don't see the whole process of it, they just basically learn some new kind of things that, that dismantle themselves, you know, so mm -hmm. if at the end I just have two hands that are naked and uh, before they was like, this hand was, this is my first show, it's very simple. Pulcinella just kills the death, the death kills Pulcinella and so on, it, somehow it ends up, everybody's dead at the end, yeah? Pulcinella. Uh, Pulcinella is the character from Commedia dell'arte, 550 years old, which I learned uh, 
from uh, from Bruno Ron and Salvatore Gato in Naples, and this is the question that I didn't respond yet because I was before I went to study to Prague, studying in Italy. So I learned about this Pulcinella, and basically he's un, he's always in Baraka, always hidden. It's like these two stupid puppets hitting each other until like and uh, and uh, running behind each other and children screaming because they really like it, you know. Um, so Pulcinella, I changed it a little bit. It gets so rough that basically he he really puts him off the hand and the other hand, and basically then at the end we have just two hands. Mm -hmm. And the children, as let's say the most like direct public that really gets really affected by every impulse you give them, they still like comprehend it that this is a puppet, even if it's just a hand. Mm -hmm. So basically it's nice to dismantle basically the theater to this extent that it becomes just two hands playing accordion and you're thinking, wait a moment, aha, this is not puppets anymore, it's two hands playing accordion now, you know. And was accordion always your instrument? This was the first one, yeah. Accordion was my uh, beginning of music. Uh, no, no, it was not, it was piano, sorry. Mm -hmm. I played piano in the and, uh, kind of elementary school. Mm -hmm. And then accordion just came in, my grandfather gave it to me and uh, I started playing folk music straight away and it was funny because I was really, uh, I really liked, liked Bela Bartok or anything that was connected to folk music and even as a child, even if I didn't know what folk music is. And uh, I was also very connected to some kind of cacophonic compositions that were kind of rhythmical, you know. So maybe I had this in me and I didn't know it, uh, the folk music and uh, let's say the basis of the music are in folk, you cannot deny this, you cannot say that the classical music and the Gregorian chorale is the beginning of it, because the folk music is like the, the one that brings and mixes and brings all the new new streams of music and the, the, is the basic of it, and I'm still like very fond of folk music and accordion is, uh, let's say, folk music instrument, even if it's quite new, mm -hmm. and even if it's uh, quite modern, uh, it 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 uh, yeah it, it 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 can it can lean to like really different kind of fields. Mm -hmm. um, you're mentioning Commedia dell'arte. Mm. What kind of things do you read or do you watch films, or are there any other sources that you draw your inspiration from? Mm. And when do ideas tend to come to you? Mm. Like in what kind of moments? Yeah. Well, I can say that I have really a critical. Uh, point of my life this is timing yeah time because whenever I'm traveling uh, in the train or in the car or somehow yeah, I'm, I'm organizing something in front so I don't live in present and past but more in the front that's my problem because I have too many activities so I cannot manage otherwise mm -hmm. and that I cannot really like I don't have really any like kind of base like in literature in experience in nothing I just basically bang into something like a flipper ball and I get inspiration from, from it, yeah. And if this is like, I don't know, antique or if this is like uh, my PhD, I don't know, Bart's, I don't know, or if I, it's uh, seeing the old lady singing somewhere uh, or singing on funeral of my grandfather, you know, it all gives me some inspiration to, to work on. But definitely I have a big lack of literature and uh, uh, of, yeah, deeper view in the in like history and stuff like this which I would really appreciate also in my shows because they are quite uh, sharp and uh, yeah, extended sometimes somehow. But I've seen you reading the book during your tour. 
Yeah, this is just a, uh, this is a situation that happens when I'm on tour and I say that now it's time for holidays, but tomorrow I fly back. Mm -hmm. So tomorrow starts a complete mess and I will not have time anymore. No? But this book was Gogol and uh, I'm kind of linked to the uh, Russian literature because of their really sensible language, sensitive, sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, I did two shows Gogol already, so I did uh, Dead Souls and uh, this was connected with the protests and I did the nose, this was not, this was just like very surrealistic one. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, and uh, it connects this kind of uh, very realistic description, like Bulgakov, or, uh, and very like emotional description of the things, which I really like, it's very like music in a way. Mm -hmm. And it puts out some really like uh, kind of uh, very like, uh, uh, very strong topics, like, I don't know, selling the Dead souls. I mean, it's it's quite uh, it's quite uh, strong and eternal topic in a way that is very political also. So this is what intrigues intrigues me in, in Google, for example. Yeah. Makes me think of a question I had that you make theater of illusion. Let's call it um, both for kids and for adults, and sometimes you separate the shows. So some are for kids and some are for adults. Um, is there a difference in the way that you approach it from both preparation to performance? Hmm. Yeah, of course. I mean, I play the same show for kids and for adults, yeah. So today I'll have one in the night, of course, I will do it for adults, you know. And the same show I played, I don't know, in Italy for three years, all kids. And uh, hopefully they will enjoy it today, but that, that kids enjoyed it, you know because it starts with my suicide and I say, you know, kids, I will play with my bones, but before I play with my bones, you know, I just have to die, you know, but don't worry, it will not hurt and so on, you know, and, like it, and it will be my bones, yeah, and then I do like joke, like I kill myself, not in this, like, but even I can do completely pathetic, uh, pathetic scene then, and then basically when I have, it was really funny, I did this show like in Russia for kids and I was like, oh no, kids, but then at the end, because it's like, I did this symbol at the beginning that I kind of put the hand like a gun to my head and I die and then at the end it ends the same way the show. So I just put the hand, you know, and I'm checking where the hell is my hand, where is the hand, you know, and just pointing at me like a gun and then the kids, it's there, it's there, you know, <laughs> so it becomes like completely different joke but it's the same show in a way, you know, but it's... Uh, is it more enjoyable to play for kids than adults? Sometimes, yes. But sometimes, of course, I mean, you cannot get so far with kids as you can go with adults, of course. No? Mm -hmm. But so. they relax easier, right? Do they mm. interact more? Do you notice that kids are just more interactive? Or do you get that from the adults as well? I mean, does, it matter, does it matter in which culture you play? Yeah, of course, there are so many aspects of it. I mean, if I'm playing a folk festival, Woodford or Illawarra or Signet is completely different then if I play in Melbourne in the in the open studio where the people that are really like aware of the theater scene they come to see the show so I can go completely different direction there mm -hmm. of course different direction I go if I play in the prison or if I play in the hospital or if I play if I play in the monastery or in the supermarket which of course I did here yeah. mm -hmm. and it's very different if I play in Japan where I don't know the language I cannot improvise so much mm -hmm. and uh, if I play in Russia or Italy, South America, I don't know. There are so many different uh, different aspects of the show that I cannot really generalize it almost. Yeah. I mean, because
is my experience moving here was that I feel people here are generally wherever you play, whatever space you play, are generally more open to interaction and are a bit more relaxed than people in our part of the world. In, mm. yeah, let's say Eastern Europe, Balkans, whatever you want to call it. Mm. Um, but yeah, maybe. Well, this is anyway like I was telling about this already. Uh, it's like uh, I'm kind of uh, monitoring the the cultures like this also, you know. Uh, if I like make certain joke and the people laugh about it, you know, and uh, some in some places this can mean something bad for the for for my side because they are laughing about something that I didn't really mean to be funny. <laughs> and on the other hand, I really like this like very detailed joke. For example, the show that you saw, Happy Bones, you know, it's kind of very minimalistic, you know, very minimalistic joke. But it can bring so many different associations. It could be about solitude. It could be about the rhythm, of course, because it's, it's, it can get to, to completely crazy rhythm, you know, and, and so on. It's hard to explain now. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, mm, basically I really like when the people like this, this part, you know. Then I like the audience. <laughs> yeah, a bit judgy sometimes, yeah. Uh, but, uh, of course, when the frog comes out and she makes all these jokes and the panda and stuff like this, when it's normal puppet and everybody laughs their head off, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, it's, it's a bit straightforward, you know, you just have a puppet, you know, making like a typical cabaret, it's nothing special, you know, just a cabaret, you know. But when they laugh about the frog, how she doesn't manage to open the other eye, you know, and because it's stuck and she opens it and they laugh about this, I think this is something that is more funny of, of this, like, simple yeah. cabaret, you know. And so on. <laughs> uh, what was um, what was the most memorable puppet show that you've seen as a child? That was like wow. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe it was Buchtia Lotki. This is Bread and Puppet from Czech Republic, because they used really different media, and it was like a mixture of hand puppets, objects. It was like window opening and closing very dynamically. You know, suddenly I remember that there was like somebody that ate a uh, porcupine with spines, animal, yeah. And I just remember this, you know, like how he went to the toilet then and they just, and they just have a big sheet of paper and they make a hole inside slowly, you know, and this porcupine comes out, you know, and he's re uh, screaming his head off and blood and stuff like this. So it's just... always a bit dark. <laughs> a bit, you know, yeah, I didn't really like, I maybe didn't really like also this really like aesthetical, aesthetical bullshit. Yeah of the marionette theater and uh, this perfect, everything perfect, you know, like... And your uh, father, what kind of puppet shows did he do? Did he do, like, shows for you as a child at home? Uh, not so much, in fact. They were kind of professionals. We had some, like, workshops at home, but I wasn't really... I didn't really, like, get uh, so much into, like, uh, uh, practical relation to, to it, in a way. So, yeah, it's uh, funny, but I didn't really, I didn't want to be a puppeteer anyway. Yeah, you mentioned it in the beginning. What did you want to be? What would you be if you're an artist? I wanted to be the teacher straight away when I was a kid. Pedagogue in an elementary school. It's kind of similar. Yeah, it's quite similar, yeah. So I went to the pedagogic academy for one year and then I left and I went to Prague. I mean, I went also to geography. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't think about it until I came to to Ljubljana and started uh, playing in all these music bands. Right. And this is also the way how I kind of uh, learned the uh, puppetry too. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's how I'm teaching also. I'm yeah. Sometimes 
teaching in Prague Academy and some others also. So I have some master classes. I would like to do it more because I think it makes sense for me, like ideologically, to spread uh, whatever knowledge I have, you know. Mm. And uh, I have some kind of practical, uh, pract uh, how to say, yeah, pedagogical, how, how I do the puppets, how I teach it. And I always start with music and uh, always start with rhythm, with body percussion, with stuff like this, with movement, with uh, acting, yeah. Mm. And then it turns it slowly into unfigural puppet theater and figural puppet theater, which means puppets, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. As a teacher now, is there something that you wished you were taught when you were studying all that and it was missing in your education that you now bring into yeah. teaching others? Yeah, of course, I miss a lot, but uh, the problem is that uh, I think that that's not really a way how to learn the theater. I mean, I don't really believe it is like a practice of, I don't know, but maybe I didn't do en enough of it, but I was, I was kind of in, I was thrown in kind of a drama, drama department for my sake. And I was, of course, missing the puppets and like all these kind of things I wanted to evolve. And uh, on the other hand, I got something completely different, some really different experience as an actor in the real theater, let's say real theater, bloody hell, and this drama theater, you know, in this pathetic uh, old style shows or also new, new style, whatever. And I got completely new experience, which I was really thankful at the end. Mm -hmm. I, I al already wanted to quit almost the school. Uh, yeah, and uh, then we had some conflict with my, with my professor and so on. So, I don't know, yeah, I know, I know a lot of things that I would change today. And I was even trying to open my academy in, I mean, my, we were opening it in Slovenia, but then the crisis came in 2010, and I'm quite happy that the crisis came because otherwise I'll be stuck there and uh, mm. just take care of bureaucracy. And uh, it's mm. better just to make masterclass and make some flash mob in the people's head. Yeah. But was there a moment like in your practice of all that where you thought, why didn't none of my teachers tell me this? You know, that you're like, oh, they, they should be teaching us this kind of stuff. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I'm not like, we don't have like teachers like that know everything, you know. Uh, you have the like some kind of idols in mm -hmm. teacher. It should be something like this, I think, no? And I think that also the respect and the... Uh, all that involves the idol should be there and that you just get everything what you can from this old guy or young guy you know and uh, or, woman. Uh, or woman and uh, you just like uh, uh, you just uh, then make in your head what is what what was useful and what not so uh, I think what they, what they did everything what they did was what they could and I'm quite happy with it in a way mm. and what you, you could do differently okay it's the system of course of the academy which is still quite good in, in Prague if I confront it with the other schools, with other academies, because I'm quite interested how the other mm -hmm. schools were working. So uh, it's not so isolated, it's not lean, leaning only on one professor, it has one and so on. It's, it's, it's quite open and you can always like jump to the stage designers or the directors and, yeah. and uh, this is device theater that we are learning in Prague in a way that we have to do everything, we have to do our mm -hmm. own uh, we have to know how to work with material and how to work with the actors and mm -hmm. and how to maybe also write our grants, but not this, not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, um, I would change, of course, 
a lot. I would open my school, but so far not. <laughs> Yes, only 38. Um, <laughs> there is another question that I like asking people. The question is, what role does silence or stillness, and maybe you want to look at them in the same way, play in your work and mm. in your life? Uh, silence, uh, how important is it? Well, there are a few like, uh, uh, ways to understand silence. Yeah, maybe it's uh, like a break. Maybe it's like intentional silence uh, between some other things. And maybe silence is the main kind of character or characteristic, which is like peace or something like this. So I can d divide, divide this in, in the musical terms in this way and in theatrical terms in the other way. So for me, silence is basically like, for example, as break, it could be silence, you know, or <laughs> uh, which means that uh, you create the rhythm with the silence, you know. If there's no silence, there's no rhythm, kind of, you know. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know, for me it's of course the same importance of the silence as the, as the opposite of it. Uh, mm -hmm. But the noise is not the opposite of the silence, uh, so it's non-silence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when you talk about break, do you take breaks in your practice? Do you actually take holidays? Because you're saying this is a holiday, but you're actually just doing a thing somewhere yeah. else. Do you actually take breaks? Yeah, that's my problem. I don't take breaks. My breaks are traveling. So when I fly for two days, this is my break. And when I drive the car from place to place, this is kind of my break. That's why I should stop flying and I should just start going by Earth. And I try to do it here also. So it was really nice to go from Brisbane to Sydney mm -hmm. and from Melbourne to Tasmania by car. And why is that pleasant and do you, why do you potentially, by the sounds of it, find it important in some way to maybe do that a bit more often? Uh, well, because maybe I don't do it enough often, that's why. <laughs> because, of course, the things that you don't do are the most important always. <laughs> and, of course, the things that you are teaching you are not doing anyway. So, of course, I'm teaching about the breaks and I'm maybe not teaching about silence, but, of course, yeah, I don't know, I saw some... Uh, KG, John KG thinks about silence. <laughs> uh, so it's maybe, yeah, it's, it's the topic that is uh, more and more actual today. Mm. And it should be. Why do you think that is, that today it's becoming more important? Well, it should be, yeah, of course, yeah. Well, because of all the options that we have now. Maybe it's better to be closed in the prison cell for 10 years than to just be a free person outside because you get so many things, no? <laughs> I can attack, you mean we are attacked by too many options or...? We are attacked, yeah. we are attacked, we are provoked, mm. uh, we are uh, obsessed and yeah, so... You... Well, actually no, I'll ask you that question that I asked you this afternoon, I prepared you for this one. Wow. <laughs> and let's see where it goes. Uh -huh. Has there been a single sentence in your life <laughs> that has shifted you profoundly? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, some sentences for today. Uh, today I'm preparing for a, for a show and I'm thinking what I will use. Which is a good sentence. Hmm. 
because basically in every show that I do, I, I directed already like 40 shows in my career. So in every show that I do, I'm kind of leaning to something like a sentence, you know, in order to dismantle it, you know. It depends if I'm like having, if I'm making the show about my grand-grandfather, which I made, you know, then there's a, there, there's very certain certain sentence that could be really like leaning, that I could lean, but I'm thinking, what was this sentence now? <laughs> okay, my sentence is the one that Panda taught me. <laughs> Put the hands out from your bums. <laughs> is that a quotation from someone? No, this is quotation of Panda. <laughs> no, no. No, I maybe don't have really anything uh, what really was the one, What was the one that you mentioned when we were downstairs today? Something about the things never turn out the way they should? Or was, was there something you said like that? Yeah, this was just a joke. Okay. I'm making sometimes jokes because I'm trying to say something in Croatian and you think it's okay. serious. So it's like, bolje ništa nego ništa. Better something than nothing. <laughs> um, well, but you just were saying that maybe that's not the case. Maybe it's better nothing than something sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So no, I'm not. I'm not really. Uh, I'm not really uh, this kind of religious person to have a sentences. sentences. <laughs> um, but because of what you said. Earlier, um, I was reflecting on the fact that you work with improvisation quite a bit. I mean, you have like a structure to your shows, but then you also freestyle a bit because you collaborate with different people who just come in yeah. kind of randomly. And when I think about improvisation, I think a lot about uncertainty. Mm. What's your view of that? And is there room to fail? Yeah, well, there's a very small space in between improvisation, interpretation, composition, basically. So, so I was talking with Trevor before, like, what is anyway the improvisation? What does it mean at all? You know. So, but okay, let's say that uh, I build a show that is uh, very strictly. Uh, I'm, I'm basically when I work with actors, I'm very uh, strict. I do like every second or every half second, even like it's a very clear when is the move, which hand is first, which is, who is, and it's like a really clear composition and I leave them some places and passages in between when they can like basically do whatever they want. And I have the same with my shows, so I like to lean and on, on improvisation as a part of the, a part of, of, of the event because it of course opens the people's mind when they just don't listen to like Bach, but they can see that somebody can even improvise on Bach, for example and they can uh, see that there's something alive going on, you know. Mm -hmm. So this is like composition, let's say it's death, and uh, uh, improvisation is uh, life, uh, life, you know. I mean, with the composition, you, do, you, you don't do anything until you interpret it in your way, yeah. Mm -hmm. And when you put the improvisation in it, of course, the, the improvisation means something which uh, is uh, uh, understandable from both sides as improvisation. So like like uh, from me as the actor and from the audience as the receivers. Mm -hmm. And uh, the best of course is when you as an actor are a receiver too, you know, which happens many times to me, which means that I'm always surprised by what what is going on, you know. So and that means of course that you are behind the time in, in which you are working now, you're not in real time but you're behind, you're suddenly realizing what's happening from the characters that you just 
build and they are just like improvising themselves. That's why puppetry mm-hmm. and the concept of puppetry, you know, it's so useful and so good because it uh, brings out quite quite an openness in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Is there a room for risk taking in your practice and how does risk taking feature them yeah. yeah, maybe too much, you know, because I lean on risk. For me, risk is something that motivates me. If there's no risk, I'm kind of bored, you know. So, uh, yeah, I kind of uh, do this quite often that I'm, like, uh, challenging myself with new uh, and new situations and with new topics. And today I want to make, like, a, a little uh, thing about Scomo, about uh, Scott Morrison. And uh, I was just talking to a friend down there and he gave me some quotations. And now I'm thinking, should I make today the Giant Wharf show uh, with a really like, with a, a really bad kind of puppet made from the hand, uh, uh, with, the, with the middle finger out as, as a puppet, and uh, or should I take this cute uh, blue bear, blue teddy bear, which would be like the true blue, you know, Australian. So it depends what will it, what would it bring, which each part, you know. I'm more leaning to the true blue now, because I think uh, yeah, it's, uh, uh, yeah, it's in, in a way it's more, uh, more conflicting. Uh, uh, yeah. When you have those two options, do you decide on them last minute? This is uh, very possible, yeah. Basically, this is what I think that I'm doing all the time. I build a construct, I build a language, I build a show, I build a composition in order to deconstruct it, you know. And this is maybe my problem because the people, when they go maybe from home for my shows, they feel unfulfilled sometimes, maybe, you know. Why? Why or, do you think so? I don't know. I mean, I'm just maybe saying it like this now. <laughs> unfulfilled in the way, well, no, no, of course, you get fulfilled when you get like a certain uh, direct uh, and uh, uh, sincere, sincere. Exhibition or yeah, exposure from 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 the from the show, then you are always happy, kind of, you know. So mm-hmm. when and the sincerity is the biggest problem in these things in the theater because uh, uh, mm-hmm. the expectations kill the sincerity. Mm-hmm. So expectations that you put on yourself, you mean? And the expectations from the public also, yeah. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's best, of course, to wake up in the morning as I did in Ilawara, very hanged over. And play for kids, and this was the best show because I was, yeah, no, the second one, yeah, the second one. That was really nice. You didn't see, and this was really great because they were kids and they really came to see the puppet show with their mothers and fathers. And the first thing that Panda said, he said, "You will die." <laughs> he said to a kid, "You will die too." Did your parents tell you that you will die? They didn't because they are not sincere. <laughs> yeah. So, and uh, of course. The children are laughing and the parents are laughing too. They are not offendingly going out, you know. But maybe because Pando was saying this, not me, you know. So this is also a good, good uh, way and good reason why everybody should consider puppets as a future art form that is multimedial without a digital form, of course, or with, it doesn't matter, but multimedial and uh, it can express the things that you cannot express otherwise, as they did in Commedia dell'arte. When they kill the policemen and they kill all the authorities with the puppets, mm-hmm. and today this we are kind of missing in our generation, millennium generation, 
that uh, we are having the idols that are a little bit uh, firstly too shaped because it's about their ego it's not about the emotions that they are taking and uh, and there's there's the second thing that I wanted to say about the idols but I forgot I'm saying too many things now anyway <laughs> I just want to make a big promotion for puppet theater no <laughs> should bother me? Failure doesn't bother you? I mean that I would not fail. I mean I'm, I'm quite a critical person so uh, for me failure is uh, quite, uh, quite a touchy, touchy thing. As an artist you know you are really like uh, very touchy and sensitive you know with the failures because you are doing your thing for the, for the ideal, for the sake of I idols you know you are not doing almost nothing for reality you know so and uh, the failure is really painful in, in a way. <laughs> no, I saw my weak side. <laughs> yeah. But how do you fail if you work a lot with improvisation and risk-taking? Where is the space for failure in that? Well, the space for failure is firstly showing that you will fail. This is your... Uh, how you say? Uh, this is your kind of... Mm. Like insecurity, you mean? Yeah, this is like your security. I don't know how you say, you know? Lock. Uh, whatever you have on the, on, for the electricity. Or switch. Yeah, security switch. So you mean, are you trying to say that you fail if you show your uncertainty? Ah, yes, yes. No, if you, if you say at the beginning, ladies and gentlemen, I will fail, yeah? They're like, okay, great, let's see, you know? But then, of course, you go one step too far and you fail in the way that you didn't really take the right step on this improvisation, for example, you know. And you really offended somebody or something like this, you know. And, uh, of course, yeah, then you are like, oh no. <laughs> sometimes I cannot, like, uh, and sometimes I'm feeling, like, bad after one show for a few days, you know, like, when I, when I fail. But, uh, of course... People mostly don't really take it seriously and they don't really take it, no, seriously, but they don't see it as much as I see it, so... And definitely they don't think about it for a few days, yeah. like you do. Yeah. Well, this is the dynamic of the solo shows also, which is very nice, which means that if you are solo with nothing but you on the stage and uh, with a coffin full of bones, and then you are just like there alone and, uh, and basically you can do so big dynamics in the show, that it can go from yeah, zero to two hundred percent, really. So this is cool thing about it. Mm -hmm. And the second thing, you are using the language that people don't know. So, which means that the blah blah language or the language, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, that you are trying to say something. And the failure is, of course, that they think that you just that you basically miscommunicate the thing to them. So maybe yeah, maybe this is a problem for me. The the miscommunication for me is. A, it can be a failure, failure, yeah. If there was a question that you would like to be asked about your practice, hmm. and you have these conversations with journalists or whatever, and you feel like, wow, nobody ever asked me this, what would that question be? Oh, ah, that's an interesting question. 
What would be the question that I was never asked, but I mean, I it really depends on which context. Which context you would think about now? No, I'm often thinking, you know, reading texts or listening to interviews with artists, like there's lots of same questions being asked. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if there is something that you want to reveal or talk mm -hmm. about in your practice, but there wasn't actually an opportunity because it wasn't asked yet. Mm. Mm. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think... <laughs> I have any question like this. Ah, question, question. <laughs> uh, if I'm going, I don't know, to puppetry field, yeah. I don't, I don't think about anything clever now. Maybe there is, maybe we're Do you have some, do you have some... Uh, extra question? No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I'm trying to ask you a question to make my... Well, it's always like, what is the thing that you would never do before you die? Oh, you would really like be sorry before you die. I mean, I don't feel sorry for anything. If I would die now, I would be quite happy, I mean. And the same is with the questions, I think, you know. I don't feel like that's like something that is really like spotting out. And the same is with quotes. I kind of hate these kind of questions. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pointing out something that, uh, of course, the next moment when you, when you name it, it becomes completely unimportant, you know. Well, that's what Susan Zontag wrote in her book. She said, ah. everything I put on paper, I stop believing in and trust and yeah. you know, thinking. And I write it down so I would stop thinking that. Mm. And she, I think she wrote it partly in response because, you know, as a writer, once you put something on the page, everyone associates you with that thought mm. for the rest of your life and onwards yeah. but she said well once it's out there I don't think it anymore yeah. I changed my mind basically yeah basically yeah I have the same with my PhD I started reading it one day and I was like shit I don't I don't really like I think completely differently now <laughs> I don't really think it's true <laughs> it's kind of the sign of learning isn't it yeah or, or unlearning, yeah. Which is maybe the definition of learning. Yes. Last question. Maybe you should ask Panda what is what is his question. Maybe he would say, wait, let's see. Yes, I would love to hear from Panda. Yeah, let's let's ask Panda. Do you want to ask Panda a question? Please. Uh, how does it feel to have Matia, Matias' hand in your bum? Well, sometimes it's quite sweaty, I would say. You know? I don't know if you are ever in your life trying to rescue the small kangaroo from the pouch. It's quite a sad thing to do. You should try it. You tried it? No. So how do you know? He tried it. Oh, so his hand is full of kangaroo? He, he tried, yeah, I mean, to put the little baby out, you know. If it's alive or not, you know. Mm. So it's a very sad thing to do, but the other at the other time, on the other hand, you know, depends which hand I'm on. On the other hand, it's very freeing. Right. And you should uh, maybe all try it. <laughs> and what would you be, Panda, if, um, if Matthias' hand wasn't in your bum controlling you? What would I be? What is your dream? Well, I mean, it's quite a personal question, I would say. It's a bit too personal. I thought you would ask me something not, not connected to me, you know. <laughs> what should I ask you then? What question would you like to be asked here? I don't know. You know? I don't know. Well, for me, 
The question would be, for example, what does it mean? Hmm. Wait a moment. <laughs> I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking. What does it be? How could it be, you know? How could it be if uh, we would just change, you know, the way we... we... I don't know. <laughs> Come on, Panda, say something. No, no, no. Why not? It's, 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 it's too complicated. <laughs> and maybe something simple. I'm, I'm good for a simple thing. Ask me something simple. Well, I did ask you something simple. Simpler, simpler, simpler. <laughs> See, I'm a little... What is more simple than asking you to say whatever you want to say? Whatever I want to say. He was talking about this before. Freedom of speech is the worst thing that you did in your country, in your time. You should be bloody racist, xenophobic people as you, as you anyway are and being just free about this and just say it. We are bloody xenophobic and just say it and just be how you are. You see? You're just wise. name, just name it. Just name the things. Make them down. Did you read Susan Sontag? She said, whenever you put something on the paper, it's done. And just do it. Just name the thing. Just name the bloody things. I'm sorry, I got a bit... Uh, it's alright, I, I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Okay, so, is that it? Well, sounds like it, sounds okay, like then. you... Okay, I'm going off then. <laughs> well, stay on, because I'm going to take a photo of you later. Okay. Can I take a photo of you? No, okay, yes. I, just in a few minutes. Okay, then. Do you like performing? Yeah. Do you like kids? Yeah. Do you like adults? Not too much. <laughs> I don't like them because they are too defined. Because they have these expectations and stuff, you know. Did you hear the word expectation any time? Yes, expectations. So. But kids have expectations too. Yes, they have, they have, but still. I know, I know they have expectations. But I, I like them, what's the problem? I just like them, I don't have to think so much. Matia, yeah, yeah. another question? Yeah. Maybe I'll ask you after. Okay. So stay there. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> Matia. I have panda here then, okay. Alright, uh, panda's I'll here. I'll ask Matia first then, it's your turn. So. Good, good. Yeah, thanks. Um, Matia, yeah. what is your natural sleeping rhythm? Uh, my natural sleeping rhythm is uh, like three hours for one week, or four or five hours per night. And then once per half a year, like today, I sleep like more than eight hours. Wow, so this is amazing when I sleep like, I think, no, I think average is like six hours or five or six hours for me. How much coffee do you drink? I, I don't have really like, a, 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 I don't have like a rhythm in my life, so sometimes today I didn't drink coffee yet, for example. Wow, so yeah. what's your fuel? Uh, I don't know, it was tea and, and I had a big breakfast today, which I'm not, not used to do, so it's quite funny, I, I'm kind of shocking myself with it different techniques and then suddenly I'm like, wow, it's so refreshing to have a breakfast, you know, mm. or it's so refreshing not to have coffee, you know, so yeah, I have too many different techniques, depending on which country, of course, yeah, when I come to Czech, I have some, like, logistic that is repeating itself, and when I come to Australia, normally I have a breakfast, uh, passion fruit yogurt, which I never have in Slovenia or anywhere else, so, because you don't have passion fruit, because we don't have passion fruit and we don't have, we have yogurt, yeah. Okay. 
we don't have passion for the yogurt, yeah. Probably we have, but I don't, I never eat it, so I don't know. And when I come to Prague, I'm normally drinking spritzer, white spritzer. Billy Strick, jedna jedna. So you live by the rule, banning around to us? Yeah, because you know, you meet some friends and you go mostly out there, you know. When you're in Slovenia, you mostly meet in the houses and so on, you know, it's different kind of etiquettes. Mm-hmm. And how the people work, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, Panda. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you wake? Yeah, yeah, but... <laughs> I was wanting to ask you, what's your natural sleeping rhythm? Well, normally after the show I go in the coffin for some time. Why coffin? Coffin. I live in a coffin. I stay in the coffin. But you know what I really like? I don't like it so much when I'm checked in baggage. I like it more when I'm on the board. Because you never know, you know. I can be useful, you know. Yeah. I can ask for another seat or something like this for extra drink because we are two people. You're you know? not a person. I, I, I have a personality, but I'm not a person. Okay. But is it important you, like you are a person when you have a personality? Is it? That's a good question. So, so. See, that's a good question. Yes, it's a good question. That could be a question that people ask. Yeah, they, they, they But do. you didn't answer. What's your natural sleeping rhythm? No. Yes, well, problem is that I'm attached to this guy always, always, so it gets hard sometimes because sometimes I'm over, over, over the place. So it's like all over the place, all the time about me. And it's, it's a bit, you know, too much sometimes. I get bored and I just want to get away. And sleeping, it's not a problem for puppets, as you know. Mm. We sleep really well. We are the best sleepers. That's why you're so wise. I'm not wise. Yes, you are. <laughs> yeah. See, silence is a wise thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, Panda, we should go for a show now, huh? Yeah. All right. Um, thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. What's your name again, Panda? Fergus. Fergus Walker, you can write down in the interview. And Junior, Fergus, right? Junior, Junior. From the generation. How old are you? Eleven. Mm, In panda years. Excuse me. In panda years. Um, you know, like dog and cat years. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Simply eleven. Okay. All right. Thanks, panda. Thanks. Thanks. Have a good show. Yeah. Thank you. I hope. I hope. Uh, We will trash the theater a little bit because I think it's a bit uh, polite situation today. Um, it's called the call for rain, and I think just thunderstorm will be outside. So I hope that I don't hope anything. In fact, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know, even know if I'll if I'll actually be in the show because this guy wants to take another one, another bear, oh. and there's coming the third one. It's koala, koala bear. I'm fine. Sure? Yeah, completely fine. I'm shaking a bit. Yeah, because it's a really hard position here. It should be higher like this. <laughs> okay. Well, I hope you get to be in the show. I mean, you traveled so far. I think, I think so. But I will be in the evening after that show. I'll be definitely. Cool, I'll be there. You'll be there. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Yes. I'll put myself off because it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
The music used in this podcast is from Matthias Solces' Scandi Balkan folk punk band Trio Katastrofa. You can find them on SoundCloud. For more about our projects, head to artemisprojects.com.au. This podcast was recorded on the Gedigal land of Eora Nation, and we pay our respect to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Thank you.